Welcome to the Win All Day Everyday Podcast presented by Prairie Hockey Academy. Today's 14th episode. Justin, it's remarkable that we've got this far, but I'm excited uh, for the past episodes. I'm also excited for uh, for today's, uh, we got a great guest and uh, lots of excitement moving forward uh, into the the remainder of our podcast schedule, lots of really good things happening. Yeah, absolutely. Middle of October, here we go. And um, hockey season started. NHL season, yeah. everything's going, right? Yeah, it's and exciting. So. Hopefully everyone got the right pick in the pool. I don't know if you're in a snake draft or if you got <laughs> you know, bottom of the pool yeah. there. And it's really curious to see where Bedard uh, got picked up in a lot of pools, whether he's going to pay off for you guys or yeah, that's true. whatnot. So lots, lots of excitement. That's all the banter we hear in the locker room right now is who got who in the pool. And, well, and I'm just draft. grateful we're not talking about fantasy football anymore because my team is pitiful. <laughs> so at least we can go to hockey. And, and we can we bypassed, obviously, the rider talk as well. So there's lots of, lots of good things now that hockey's going. We can get our, our minds off football. Yeah, absolutely. Well, episode 14, um, we get to be back here in studio with our guest, Barrett, and uh, really thrilled to uh, have a, a Saskatchewan coaching legend with us. Um, he's, you know, no stranger to Prairie Hockey Academy either. He's, he's been uh, been gracious to be involved uh, for the first seven seasons that we've had, and every year he comes out and runs a bit of a Russian development camp, and we have a pile of fun with the, with the youngsters in the ice. Um, and so, you know, Dave King uh, is here in studio with us. Dave, uh, no stranger to coaching in the game of hockey. Um, I mean, 1984, 1988, 1992, uh, coached the Olympic men's team for Team Canada, went on to coach the Calgary Flames for a few seasons, Montreal Canadiens for a couple as an assistant coach, uh, and then moved on to be the, you know, first ever head coach of the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, franchise history. And, you know, from there, uh, you know, first coach to first Canadian coach or first coach, non-Russian coach, the coach in the Russian Super League before it was the KHL. And yep. um, we might hear some stories about that. And, you know, Sweden, Swedish Elite League and, and Germany. And I mean, before all that, right, uh, in Saskatchewan, you know, U of S, um, Saskatoon Quakers, things like that. So, Dave, um, it's an absolute pleasure to be able to have you here with us for, for an hour. And just uh, thank you for your time and for thank you for being here to share some wisdom for, for our listeners. We've got a great show planned. Okay, well, thank you for inviting me. It's, uh, I always enjoy coming back to Prairie Hockey Academy. It's been, as you said, seven years, and seven very enjoyable years. And, uh, you know, at my age, uh, those little guys on the ice give you lots of energy. So it's, uh, it's always fun to do it with the kids. I really enjoy the ice sessions. Yeah, it was great having you, you know, with even just the U15 practice this afternoon. And um, they, they just love all the drills that you incorporated and, and added some, you know, some, some of that Russian flavor into uh, the skill development was really good yeah. for our guys to, <laughs> to understand that to run systems, you got to have a skill set and, and I'm sure they picked up on a few things. So mm-hmm. that was great to see. And, and as Justin has said, you're, you know, a storied career from a, mm-hmm. a coaching perspective, going from being a, a teacher to, you know, yeah. a, a coach. And um, what I was saying to Justin earlier, how you, you transitioned, uh, from lots of different levels of hockey, like, you know, the CIS level, the Western League level, yeah. successful at all those, Coach of the Year in, in both, going on to the National Hockey League, and then even the Olympic, you know, story in between and how you're in the Olympic Hall of Fame and mm-hmm. silver medal at the Olympics. Lots of really brilliant things, and I'm sure you've got lots of stories to share there, but maybe you want to talk about some of the differences that you've noticed in your career between each of those categories, like going from junior slash university into the Olympic program, how much of a change that was. Yeah, it, it is a big change. I started, uh, really, I started coaching junior B hockey. Actually, I coached Bantam hockey in Saskatoon. I was teaching at Aiden Bowman Collegiate, and uh, I was the football coach, the wrestling coach, and then they asked me to coach the hockey team, so I said, yes, I would. So we were busy, but, uh, and then I started coaching the junior B Quakers, uh, which I really enjoyed. Went to the Winter Games in 1974, and then I, I got involved uh, eventually with major junior hockey with the uh, a team called the Billings Bighorns, which was the Calgary Centennials. And they were moved down to Billings, Montana in the Western Hockey League. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I found that level very interesting because the players are uh, really focused on becoming professional players. So uh, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of players that play at times a little bit more for themselves than for the team because they want to be scouted. They want to make a difference every game. Uh, They're trying to make it to pro hockey. So they're trying to impress people. When you go to college hockey, I went to the University of Saskatchewan after that, and it's different altogether because the guys are older, more mature. Uh, they see hockey as being really important, but their studies also right up there very highly with them. And so uh, they play a, a bit more collective game. Uh, they play a little bit more for the, for the, for the group than for themselves. And uh, we had great success at Saskatchewan. We won the uh, 
won the national championship, took us three tries to do it. We got to the national final three times, lost twice, and the third time we won it. So that was probably one of the most enjoyable times of my life was to be involved with the uh, with the University of Saskatchewan Huskies. It's a great program, and now they have a new facility, and uh, so it's really top top of the line. And then from there, I went to the Olympic program. Uh, I got a chance to be the Olympic coach in 1984, Sarajevo, and uh, so that was a, that started me really on a, another trajectory. I, I would, had plans to go back after coaching the Olympics. I was gonna go back, I was on leave from the University of Saskatchewan. I never went back. I just kept on moving up and uh, enjoyed it very much. Yeah, so that national program, I mean, there's a lot of people that are unfamiliar with that because Hockey Canada doesn't have that anymore. That's right. Maybe can you tell us a little bit about, you know, the, the makeup of those teams and where yep. you guys would play because yep. you didn't just train on the Olympic year. It, uh, no, every that's year. right, Justin. We, well, Hockey Canada recognized and CHA at that time recognized that um, there was no Russians in the NHL. They were all in Russia. The Czechs had, couldn't leave their country. So the competition was really high. And... Uh, for, to put together a team in six or seven months, just the Olympic year, and try to compete was really tough. So um, Hockey Canada and CHA decided to reconnect with the national team, which goes back to Father Bauer. When he was uh, in charge of the national program, it was a full-time team. So we formed a full-time national team program. We played probably 90% of our games in Europe. We played Russian touring teams here, but all the other games were in Europe. We would train for two weeks and then play a lot of games in two weeks. And that was the format. So it was done to try to fast track players over two or three years to get them to be at the Olympic level. Now, the one flaw to the program is the fact that some guys get too good too soon <laughs> and they go to the NHL. And that's a problem. But again, that's what we felt we, we would do. And uh, it wasn't uh, something we weren't uh, happy about. It happened to us. So, um, yeah, I was able to be involved in the 84 Olympic team. And then, of course, I stayed on till 88. And we ran a program for four years uh, leading up to the 88 Olympics and then again to 1992. So for about oh, nine or 10 years there, we had full-time standing national teams. And it was a great concept. And it was really interesting to watch the NHL use it. Right. Because they would send us players that uh, they had that maybe weren't quite ready, needed to more grooming, more experience. And so we started to work with the NHL. And that was a big plus in terms of making us more competitive. And finally, in 1992, we won a silver medal. And then in 2018, we won the bronze medal. So, right. yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. In my intro, I left out that in 2018, you went back, yep. uh, you and Willie Desjardins, the coach of that team, and yeah. won the bronze. And um, we saw kind of the start of, you know, even the German national team becoming a, yes. you know, really starting to show up on the national stage. And they, they yeah. showed up at that, that event. And obviously Leon Dreisettel's kind of, and yeah, has started that, that trend there. But you can yeah. really see uh, that international hockey has improved so much. Um, I just got back from a holiday in Austria and I watched a game in the Austrian elite league, the top league. And there's a lot of players there that caught my attention that mm. are good hockey players. And, uh, you know, we have, now we have players from so many countries, Slovenia, Austria, Switzerland, Germany. Uh, we have a lot of countries supplying us with players. Denmark, it, it's just amazing. So the game has really improved a great deal. And uh, it's become a very competitive playing field for Canada now. There's no guarantees. It's, uh, we have to play well to, to win. While we're still on that Olympic discussion, what's your take? Where Are we going to see best on best at the Olympics anytime soon? Yeah, I think the NHL really wants that, and I think the players really want it. So I think that will happen. Um, the problem with the best on best is I don't think the NHL can guarantee that every time it's going to work for them. You know, um, there are financial things they have to look at, and uh, it interrupts their league, which is a, is a concern for them. Uh, when the games are played in Asia, for example, to the television times, it's 2 o'clock in the morning. Right. Right. So the you know, marketability for their product, their players, is not high. So... Uh, the NHL believes a lot in marketing. Uh, they're a financial institution as much as they're a sporting uh, institution. So um, there's no guarantee, but I think we will get back to best on best uh, for a little while here. And uh, I think the fans enjoy that. Um, it'll be interesting to see if Russia gets back into it. I'm not sure we're ever going to get best on best again if we don't get Russia back into the equation. Right. Right. And I'm not saying they should be back in. Probably they shouldn't be. But without them, it, the playing field's a little different. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I mean, speaking of Russia, you, you know, with the national program, you guys had, you know, quite a bit of success, yeah. as you mentioned, the silver medal in 92. Mm -hmm. But e even in that zone, where, 
I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the first Canadian team to beat Russia in Russia mm-hmm. uh, since the Summit Series. That's right. We won the Asvestia Cup in 1983, leading up to the Olympics, that 83-84 year. Uh, and we were the first team to win the, to beat the Russians in their building for, I don't a long time. 11 years. And so, yeah. uh, so it was kind of sweet and uh, we really enjoyed that. It was a great experience. And uh, for us, it was uh, a real, a real accomplishment because the Russians were loaded. Like in those days, I can't tell you about their teams. They were so, I mean, there was nobody in the NHL. They had all their top guys. I mean, Trecek was in goal in 84 and guys like, I mean, it was just loaded with great players. So lots of fun, tough. Uh, it's tough coaching sometimes when you don't have a chance to win. However, you're, you know, you, you have to stress to the players, they're getting better, and you as a coach, hopefully, you're getting better too. And then you made the, the transition from that sort of, you know, in-house program that Hockey Canada had in place for the Olympics to the National Hockey League, you know, with Calgary, Montreal, yep. Columbus, different stops along the way. How, how did you transition from, you know, sort of having this ragtag, bad news bears group of athletes to the best in the world? Yeah, it's a, certainly a tra- it's a it's a transition because when you get to the NHL, I mean, uh, you know, we had Gary Suter, Al McKinnis on defense. We had Joe Newendike, Theron Fleury, Gary Roberts. These guys are world class players, you know. And uh, but I really enjoyed moving to the NHL. It was the right time to do it. I think uh, I had you know enjoyed myself in international hockey. But now it was time to see what the NHL was like, and it was great, a great experience. It's uh, you know your your uh, your job is on the line all the time. Uh, you're, uh, there's no nights off for coaches at all. Uh, there's no sympathy for coaches. Uh, you are going to be the first moving part in the engine to be changed. And, uh, it's the way it is, but, uh, I enjoyed Calgary. And then uh, I got a chance to go to Montreal and be an assistant coach there, which was really, tr- that's a great place, Montreal. I got to tell you, <laughs> you know, Saturday night, Montreal game night. Wow. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You know, in Montreal, it's, just, it's always funny because in the, the fans are very supportive yet. They're very fickle. And we used to always say in the dressing room, they're w- with you, win or tie, just don't tie too much. <laughs> and uh, that's the way it was in Montreal. And then I went to Columbus as the first, uh, the first coach of that expansion team. And that was a truly great experience, which I really, really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, we had a great year the first year, and uh, uh, it was a terrific experience. And then I went to, uh, back to Phoenix. Actually, I went to Russia for a couple of years. And then I came back to Phoenix, and I uh, coached with the Coyotes for, I guess, six or seven years with Dave Tippett who I uh, had coached in the Olympics in 84 and in 92. So uh, I got a chance to work with one of my players as he was the head coach and I was one of the assistant coaches. So it was always good. And I always enjoyed coaching because I've never been satisfied with where I was. I always tried to get better. I've always been a guy to write things down. I've always watched games kind of analytically. And uh, I've tried to make sure that I'm, even now when I watch games, I still write things down. I still enjoy uh, trying to develop my skills as a coach because I'm finished coaching, but I still love the game and want to know more about the game. Yeah. I think, I mean, Scott tells us, you know, your son, Scott King works yeah. with us at, at Prairie Hockey and um, he'll tell us often, you know, sitting around just watching some games or doing anything or having to, trying to have breakfast. He said, he said, my dad has a, like a whiteboard, you know, a little, a coaching whiteboard just yeah. tucked away beside the couch or beside the, uh, the kitchen table. And he'll always pull it out and want to drop a play or, or see <laughs> something. So I think it's, you know, like you said, you still enjoy that and just, yeah, uh, I do. you know, drawing things out, writing things down and yeah, I, I think it's really important. I think, you know, uh, as you get older, you know, you, you, uh, if you ever lose the drive to get better hmm. and to improve, I think that's when life starts to stand still for you, you know? So I tell anybody there's no age limit on learning. Yeah. You know, just uh, keep trying to develop your skills, no matter what your occupation is. It keeps you motivated and it keeps you looking forward to the next day. So I've always tried to keep working on my skills. And as I said, I'm not coaching anymore, but I still love watching the game and, and learning. In that time that we've just talked about from Billings to the U of S to Columbus, that was, you know, an era of tough guys and red line and... Mm-hmm. Now the tough guys have been removed and the red line's been removed. The game has changed. Um, what are some things in your career over that span that you have changed your mind on in terms of your, maybe it was a coaching style or different things that you've picked up that you've, you've be like, you know, 10 years ago, I didn't do it this way, but now this is how I've done it. Yeah. The game has changed dr- uh, drastically. I mean, uh, the rule changes the NHL has made was designed to open the game up. 
Uh, they're designed to make it possible for a smaller player to play and play effectively. Uh, for years, we didn't enforce the rule book. I mean, there's a rule book and you'd read it and you'd kind of chuckle because, <laughs> I mean, it, uh, tackling interference was completely okay. Uh, no one ever called it. And then when they started, had zero tolerance. They had two referees brought into the game. They took the red line out. Uh, all those things were suddenly it changed the game. And uh, so it was really fascinating to be a coach at that time because you had to change. Like all of a sudden, when the rules change, you have to, as a coach, look at it and say, okay, what does that mean to our team, our, our lineup? What does it mean to our tactics? Um, how can we use this to our advantage uh, if we can? And usually good coaching rules, it really ruins the rule changes that are made. Like they bring a new rule and we find a way to screw it up, you know? <laughs> and uh, so that happens. But um, I think it's, uh, it's made the game much more exciting for fans. Uh, smaller players can play and they make, I mean, they're difference makers. They're guys that can sell tickets. Uh, these young players that are not so big, but very fast and very skilled now can play. Uh, it's amazing when you think about Flair, Theron Fleury. He played in an era mm. when you could tackle. Right. And he was still very effective. Now imagine him in today's rules. It would have been amazing. But um, yeah, so it's been great. And you do start to change your, your philosophy a little bit. I was always a little bit, um, always a little bit uh, in favor of, the, of smaller players. I had no problem with it because I always felt that being skilled and fast still could make you, even as a defenseman, like always at the draft, we, they, they always, the first question was, how big is he? You know, and yeah. now those questions aren't asked anymore. It's their skill set and those kind of things. So it's made coaching, I think, much more interesting. Uh, at one time, uh, the game was pretty pugilistic. Mm -hmm. You know, it came down to the playoffs to, uh, you know, it was a war. And I think it's still tough. The playoffs are long and they're a grind, but I still think it's, it's better hockey all the way around. Yeah, the game has definitely changed. I mean, you wrote a book about that, right? This uh, Loose Pucks and Ice Bags yep. and um, just kind of detailing, yep. you know, how the game has changed. And we're, we're here we are on, you know, the eve of, uh, you know, the yep. NHL season starting and, and the NHL, the, you know, the schedule makers, yep. uh, you know, call it luck, uh, but they, yeah. <laughs> likely not luck, but they chose to put Connor Bedard up against Sidney Crosby for, for opening night, right? And, you know, what? Are we going to see the game continue to evolve with somebody like a Connor Bedard in it? Um, yeah, 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 we are. That's a very good question, Justin. I think we are because um, he's not big. He's very explosive and very skilled and got great instincts. And, uh, and I, you know, when I'm out there with the Perry Prairie Hockey Academy kids, you can see now the quality of coaching is so high. And these, kill, these kids have got skills that... Uh, are really impressive for their age. So I think our average young player now is getting better than they were 25 years ago. I mean, uh, there's no longer a guy who, if you can't skate, it's hard to play our game. If you can't handle a puck and pass the puck, it's hard to play the game. Um, and I think now we all recognize the importance of instinct uh, is really important to the game. Game sense is really, really critical. Size is being, uh, I think, relegated to the back seat a little bit. So, yeah, it's a very exciting game, and uh, I think, uh, you know, it's going to get better and better. And I, it's, I really, I, I wonder how much more skill we can get, but I think there's more there. I, I think the, uh, the quality of skill is now is very high, and the tactical part of the game now is it's speed. Like, it's a, it's a fast game. You can ask any player that, that's played the game now, and they'll always admit it's much faster. For sure it is, yeah. And you had some time over in Europe. Yep. Lots of different stops, whether yep. it was Germany or Sweden, Finland as well. Were you? Nope. No. Um, but your time also in Russia, you wrote the book, mm -hmm. you know, the the king yep. of Russia. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots of, I'm sure, great stories, um, mm -hmm. great memories. You yep. know, you were there before the KHL. You were there in the KHL. Yep. Um, you've had some stops along the way. What were some things that you took from your North American coaching style? Um, over to Europe? Because obviously they do things differently over there. Mm -hmm. What were some things that you sort of like planted your flag on and like, look, we'll, we'll change some things, but this has to be locked in. This is yeah. a, a non-negotiable. I think the one thing I would advise anybody that's going to go coach in another country is, you know, respect their game the way it is. Mm -hmm. uh, respect their culture within their game. Um, trying to change culturally anything is difficult when you go to Europe. Because those things are right in, they're ingrained in the game. Um, the one th area I tried to think, okay, I said, I think we can improve would be uh, our, our, uh, our defensive play. 
as a, as a group collectively. Uh, we could play better defensively. I watched some of their games from the year before and thought, you know, probably I'm going to leave their offense. We're going to – I like their offense. You know, it's instinctive. It's flow. It's rhythm. Uh, they challenge you one-on-one. Uh, they do some things. And offensively, they, they at that point in time, they were better than we were. And uh, so I just tried to help them with the defensive game. And the one thing I tried to do that I think made a real impact in Russia was I used videotape. I mean, I broke every game down to about a seven or eight minute video review of the game. And they were fascinated. Like for the most of their lives, yes, they had video, but they would, it would be shown to them if it was a bad game, they'd have to sit for an hour and a half and watch <laughs> the game while the coach barked at them and just ranted about, you know, mm-hmm. there's no instruction, mm-hmm. no stopping and showing. It's just, you know, it was a punishment. Yeah. So when I came in, I used video as a constructive thing, short, uh, concise, uh, positive things along with things we have to improve. And uh, I can remember doing some video sessions and our equipment guy, he was so fascinated. He had the video camera in the back and he was videoing the whole thing because he wanted to show. I asked him why. He said, I want to show my relatives. We're doing this new science of (laughs) hockey. So, you know, so I enjoyed that. And I think think that's the one thing I left behind was uh, then all the Russian coaches started to think, okay, we've got to use video in a different way, not punishment. It's instruction. And so, uh, yeah, it was great. And Russia was wonderful. My wife and I lived in Magnitogorsk. I coached uh, Malkin, who was a really good player. Nikolai Kuhleman played on that team. They were great young. They were both 18-year-old players in the top league and playing very, very well for us. Uh, And then I coached in Yaroslavl. And Yaroslavl was very interesting for me because a year and a half prior to that, the plane crash had occurred. Mm -hmm. You know, and so it was very interesting to go to a team that was trying to rejuvenate itself uh, it was amazing to uh, to see the response that people had to uh, the team, how much it meant to them to go to the cemetery and see 37 grave sites with these massive headstones, a full picture of a guy in his uniform, things like that. We had a chapel within the rink. Uh, both sides of the rink had p- pictures of all the people who died in the plane crash. So it made a real impact on me that this is an important game yeah. for a lot of people. It, a lot of communities, whether it be hockey, soccer, baseball, football, these are things that are good for communities. They bring you together. And uh, when that kind of tragedy happens, it's, it's really dreadful. But, uh, yeah, so I really enjoyed myself in Europe. And I, I, I learned a lot. You know, I had already, because I had coached so long against the Russians, I knew their game pretty well. And I was able to implement some of our things. And it was easy for me at, at times because I had, um, in Magnitogorsk, I had uh, Dmitry Yaskevich and Igor Korolev, two Russian players that had played in the NHL, both spoke English, and they were my translators. So things like yeah. that made it real easy for me. Fascinating. Yeah, I've, I've, I've actually had the opportunity to be in a couple of those stops as well, not coaching, but just mm-hmm. passing through and, and yeah. some travels. And the, the part of respecting those cultures and, and uh, all those coaches, you know, they, they want to learn, they want to mm-hmm. improve as well. And I, I think that's brilliant how you helped shape that part of it. Because even yeah. now today... We use the program Instat, yes. which is Russian-owned. <laughs> like, that's right. They've come so far that now they're the leading edge. Like They own the that's software right. that everyone over here now uses. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's no, changed a lot. You know, and I, I, I can tell you about Sweden. I coached in Sweden, and uh, I'd always respected uh, in my NHL career, I had Swedish players. And I thought, gosh, these guys really play for the team. And so I, when I coached in Sweden, it became so clear to me that they play for each other. You know, they play for each other. They're so collective. Um, they get their their high, their vibration out of being good together. And their collective play offensively and defensively is amazing. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting. And I coached in Japan. And I can remember the first time I was in Japan, I'm coaching the national team. And I'm over there and I watch my first practice from the stands. So I'm watching them practice and I can see we're doing, they're doing some three-on-two flow drills. And it caught my attention after seven or eight minutes that the same guy was always shooting the puck on each rush. I said to my translator, am I right that the same guy always shoots the puck? Oh, yes. He says, yes, he's the oldest. And I said, oh, we're going to change that <laughs> in a hurry. But that's the culture. <laughs> right. Respect the older people. So yeah. the players, they respect the older players. He gets the puck. He's, if he's got any chance to be in a good position, he should get the puck. So respect the culture if you want to be a good hockey coach in Europe or Russia or yeah. wherever. Right. Tell me a little bit... Um, Train, I don't want to change too much of what we're talking about, but mm-hmm. Loose Pucks and Ice Bags with uh, yeah. obviously the title of your second book. Um, 
Tell us why that's the title. I mean, I know why, but I'd love for our yeah. listeners to kind of know a little bit of why that means so much to you. Well, in all my coaching career, people ask, you know, always asking, you know, like what makes the difference? And, and uh, you know, some people can give you great surprising answers that are full of technical stuff. And I've always thought, now nah, to me, the game, it's simplistic at times. You know, it comes down to loose pucks. Who, If you win free pucks, loose pucks, then you're, you, you're in control. You've got the puck. Um, and then ice bags simply means after the game's over, you must have competed because you've got to put ice bags on your feet and hands and everything else. So loose pucks and ice bags to me was a simplistic way to look at the fact that if you don't work at this game, you can't win. You can have all the skill you want. You have to have the effort. You know, and really the game, the game comes down to, as I've talked about many times, uh, two aspects of, of hockey are really important. One is, is the uh, decisions you make. Uh, you make decisions on the ice that are really important. And those decisions, if you make more smart decisions than the other team does and make fewer bloopers than the other team does, that really enhances your chance to win. But the second part of the equation are choices. And choices are not made with your head. Choices are made with your heart. So you might, you know, it might be a, a, a shot in the point and you're going out to block it. And you might just be partially in the shot lane you don't want to get hurt, so the shot gets by you. Nobody else would know that, but you do. When you're back checking and uh, another couple of hard strides might get you to that guy, but you don't do it, no one could even notice that because it's, you're about 90%. You know, so people in the fans say, think it's great, the stands, oh, it's great, he's, well, he's working. But you know you could, gone, you could have gone harder. So I guess what I'm saying is uh, if you want to win, it's tough choices. And you sometimes are the only guy that knows it and appreciates it, that you made the tough choice. You know, blocking a shot at the key moment is really important, things like that. So, you know, the game is decisions and choices, and uh, that's a big part of, of the game. And so that's what Loose Pucks and Ice Bags really, I think, talks about throughout the, uh, the, the book. I often talk about the fact that it is, it's a game of effort, too. Don't underestimate that you have to, everything starts with hard work. That's good. On the next segment that we want to jump into and transition yeah. over to is our advice section. We call it Guide and Provide. Yeah. And um, so love to pick your brains a little bit on advice that you might give to um, maybe, you know, we're still early in the, the season here. So some mm -hmm. advice for a young player, say U18 to U15, what are some things that you would give them advice for the first half of their season? I, I think the... One of the most important things, like I, I look at the, you know, the game and I watch your practice at, at PHA and the kids practice good things. They've got good habits. They're working hard. And, and that's really, really important. I think one of the things you have to always uh, start to build at the start of the season is perseverance. Um, you know, are you prepared to deal with some difficulty? The game is not going to be easy. Uh, getting results is not easy. Uh, you're going to have uh, ups and downs in your game. So with young players, I always talk about work on your skills, but um, accept challenges uh, off the ice or on the ice, emotional uh, situations. Um, you know, you've got to work on your self-management skills, like being able to persevere, being able to dig in when it gets tough. Um, it's not just a game of skill. It's, there's a, the, the mental part of the game is so important. And I've seen players overcome adversity and become great players. And I've seen some great players, unbelievably skilled players, not be able to deal with adversity and never make it. Right. So, you know, I think for young players uh, starting a season is uh, work on your game, uh, work on your skills. But when you meet challenges, look forward to it. It's, it's a moment when you can get better. Those are the little bumps in the road are really important for you. Because if you can overcome those, you, you'll become better. And that's important. And in terms of advice, you know, you're a grandparent, yep. you're a, a parent, you know, yep. both your grandchild and your your son have played the game at a higher level and, yep. and uh, done well. What is some advice you'd give to young parents out there that their kids are just, you know, they're U13, U15, U18, maybe they're at the rep level, maybe they're just on the cusp. What are some words of advice you'd give to a parent? Well, that's difficult because parents um, are emotionally attached to their kids. Obviously, they should be. And the welfare of their, of their child is the most important thing for them. So when a parent sees a young player maybe not playing very much or, um, you know, in some circumstance like that, it concerns them. And then, obviously, they can get emotional. 
So it's, it's a, a recipe at times for, for stress and conflict. So I, all I tell parents is, uh, you know, um, put it in perspective. Um, it's, easy to, it's easy to criticize the coach in front of your, your child. Don't do that. Don't criticize in public or in the car going home. The kid shouldn't dread the, sh the ride going home. You know, talk about other things besides the game. Um, don't criticize the coach. Um, if you have an issue with the coach, talk to the coach. You know, don't talk, don't uh, uh, get the kid involved in thinking his coach is not a good coach, not a good person, those kind of things. So uh, it's really important that parents understand that uh, coaching is difficult. I mean, I don't think coaches now at youth level are live and die with having to win, but they, they would like to win. But the coaches too have, a, have, a, have another uh, duty and that is to play the players. You've got to give them an opportunity. And sometimes you've got to hold your breath. You've got to put a guy in a situation where there's somebody probably better, but that's okay. He's got to earn his chance. If you don't give him that chance, you'll never know. So um, for parents, it's uh, tolerance. Um, you know, uh, just take it easy a little bit. Uh, keep your, keep your, uh, your head on. Um, again, self-management skills are really important for parents. Uh, don't, uh, you know, just don't put your, your son or, ch or daughter into a situation where it's uncomfortable for them. Right. And on that topic yeah. of coaches, yeah. what you've, you've seen young coaches on both sides of the water. Um, yeah. And I'm sure that times you've been like, oh, I wish I could just have five minutes with that guy to give him some advice or that, mm -hmm. that lady as they get into coaching. What, yeah. what are some nuggets that you can drop on the coaches that are out there maybe listening or just some, some words of wisdom to help a, a young coach who's maybe at that minor level or even just someone in junior that's trying to, you know, springboard from, from that spot in their careers onwards? Yeah. Well, I've always felt if a, if a coach isn't having fun, you can be guaranteed the kids aren't having fun. So it's really important that, that a coach has, I've talked about this a lot, self-management skills. You've got to be able to deal with uh, uh, youngsters that make mistakes. Uh, you've got to deal with parents that have a strong opinion. Um, so you have a difficult challenge, uh, and I think it's really important that, uh, first of all, you have a coaching staff. You Don't ever coach by yourself. Have a staff of two or three people, because collectively you're better than just one. And then I think the other thing is, uh, always coach within the realm of your skill level. Don't start trying to do things that are too technical, too difficult. Maybe you don't quite totally understand. Uh, the game doesn't have to be complex. You know, number one, I think it really, if you can create a good environment, a good environment in the dressing room, your team will be a competitive team. Because when kids are having fun uh, and they're playing for each other, I think your team is going to be as competitive as, as it can be. Um, a lot of parents and a lot of coaches, I think, uh, they lose perspective a little bit. The expectations are that these kids can uh, can do some things that they really can't do. There's certain things that are very hard. Game sense. Sometimes people say yeah, they they label, and I always tell young coaches, don't label players too early. He's not tough, you know. He's not smart. Some youngsters don't want the puck. When they get it, they're nervous, and so they get rid of it and make a bad play. They've got game sense, but they haven't got confidence. It's not game sense, it's confidence. So, you know, as a coach with youngsters, uh, be careful labeling. A kid's not tough. Some little guys are little. They aren't confident in going into the boards against some big guy. And so, you know, in time, they'll probably be okay. But just avoid labeling people uh, too early because I think that's so unfair to the athlete. That's good. I had, a, I had a mentor that used to talk about the same thing in coaching. You'd say, not similar idea, but he'd always just say, you know, you have to, as a coach, you have to learn how to see the person and not mm -hmm. always the performance, right? Yeah. Because um, when you just look at the performance, you can That's easily right. label as opposed to recognizing, you know, yeah. how do we, you know, coach up that person, right? Yeah. Help That's why them. I've always recognized the importance of effort. Effort usually is pretty clear, you know. And uh, as I said before, I've seen a lot of people achieve things that I never thought they could achieve, but the effort was always there. They're very resilient people. And, uh, uh, and I said, as I said before, I've, I've had some talented young players that I thought were guaranteed NHL players, but they couldn't deal with stress. They couldn't deal with expectations. Um, they couldn't deal with coaches that were rough to play for. Uh, so young players have to, it's a, it's a bumpy road. And, uh, but make it as much fun as you can. Like I still think even coaching the NHL, you got to have fun. Guys like it. The guys love it when you're having fun. Like, 
every so often when I was coaching in the NHL, um, I'd have one of the assistant coaches run the practice and I'd just go from line to line with the guys and talk and uh, ask how things were going and, uh, you know, just play a, the role of kind of a, a Santa Claus, just being a nice guy to be around, you know. <laughs> and uh, so you got to do that. you got to change things up. You can't always do it the same. You're trying to avoid that grind that is, always happens. Um, you know, when the kids come to the rink in the morning, it's cold, it's 40 below. Um, they've had a tough weekend. Remember those things. That first practice should be one where the kids can get a little bit of energy back. So coaching makes it's common sense. But however, um, we, always don't, we often don't have that. You know, I always start, make sure I tell coaches to never start the day angry. Mm. Like you had a bad game last night, it's over. Get by it, turn the page, and don't start the next day angry about the game last night. Because players recognize when you're angry and they... they they don't enjoy it. Life is not fun for an athlete when he knows the coach is, is angry. Yeah. I think um, a couple of pieces. I know we've got another segment. We want to get into some stories, but yep. I want to hijack it a little bit. Um, yep. And for those of our listeners that don't want to hear a, you know, a three to five minute segment on, on Prairie Hockey Academy, they can fast forward <laughs> to yep. the end. But I would like to, you know, you talked about a couple of things and even in some of my, you know, some of your books where I've read, you know, a fascinating, I look back to even your time with the Calgary Flames, you didn't, you didn't really have a goalie coach back then. Like your no. staff wasn't there, you know, you yeah. know, and I look at, you know, some of the hockey academies and, you know, what Hockey Canada did when they brought in the Hockey Canada accredited school model and allowing some of the coaching and what we get to do every day. It's, you know, you just talked about some of these pros that, um, you know, or the players sorry, that you thought were like sure guaranteed pros that weren't able to because they, you know, maybe, you know, just weren't able to develop on the, on mm -hmm. the mental strength side or, or different pieces to uh, withstand some of those and I look at what we do on an everyday at, at Prairie to to try and develop that holistic athlete, right? Whether that yep. be with a skills coach or a power skating or a strength coach or mm -hmm. or a goalie coach or, you know, um, one of our programs I'm really excited about we developed two years ago is our whole mental wellness um, and, and mental strength program. It's, mm -hmm. You know, in the whole world that we talk about today with mental health, um, we try to, you know, help them identify that there's a difference between mental illness, mental health, mental wellness, mental yeah. strength, mm -hmm. and uh, how do you develop these um, stress responders and, and deal yeah. with the stress in your life? Because it's, yeah. you can't go stress-free in life. You no, just learn how work. to, you learn how to, you know, you do things like you get up and run five miles a day or different pieces mm -hmm. to build mm -hmm. resiliency, right? And, yeah. and so I just think, you know, a few episodes ago, Dustin Friesen, our U18 prep head coach and director of performance is on, he talked about this being his fourth season with us and just... You know, he's loved it just from the ability to build a program and what he's seen in those four years coming off of COVID to, you know, us building a gym and some going to four teams and, a, and a, you know, dressing rooms and things. But yep. you've been here for seven. Yep. And I think you give a really good outside uh, perspective and love to just hear your thoughts on what you've seen, the development of uh, Prairie Hockey Academy, but even just the minor hockey circles and the level of U18 prep hockey that you experienced yeah. today. That's a very good question, and I can tell you it's a very easy answer in many ways. Um, the thing I've always really liked about the Prairie Hockey Academy is um, I think you see the athlete as a person before you see him as a player. You know, I, I think when I talk to the coaches after practice, you know, uh, the insights they have onto the personality and the background of a young player and, you know, maybe things he's, have to go, he's presently going through or has gone through before in the past, um, that knowledge of that type of thing, I think... Uh, you do a great job with the person. And I think when you talk about, you know, mental wellness and mental health, those kind of things, we talked about resiliency. Those are the kind of attributes and things we need from sport. If you only see uh, him as a hockey player, that, that, that's, it's the way it is with some people, but it's not the right way to see it. You've got to see him in a, in a holistic point of view, and he is a person. Can you help him become a better person? Can you help him become a more resilient person, a person that can face some adversity? Because as you said, there's no adversity-free environment to be had. So Prairie Hockey does a great job of that. And of course now, beyond that, I think that's always been there. Uh, now when I see the whole program, like uh, you cover all the bases. You've got great on-ice training. You've got great off-ice training. You've got very qualified coaches. Uh, and as I said, I always get the impression talking to your coaches, they care about the kids. Uh, I never have the coaches here talk about having to win. They're always talking about development and, uh, you know, and they share things. Like I'd liked, sometimes I'll listen in the coaches room and I like the way the guys will exchange ideas on a player trying to get somebody else's opinion. So, you know, you, when you care for the person, 
I think that's the special difference that is needed. And, and, and hockey academies, the Prairie Hockey Academy is one of them. They do that. I think you do a really good job of the person. Yeah. Appreciate that. Uh, last year, you and I got to sit at the Barkman Arena in Cairnport, and we were yep. we were watching a hockey game. I think it was our U17 prep team. Yep. And I just remember you commented on uh, on a young player that was on the ice, and, and you said, you know that, you know, and I don't remember, you named his jersey number, and you said that youngster, he's a, he's a good good little hockey player. Uh, and, you, and you said a comment to me that I'd love our listeners maybe to understand. Maybe it's something that you could give to some of our younger athletes, but you just said, you know what, the, the challenge for him right now from becoming a, a good player to a great hockey player is uh, learning that, you know, he now has to use his skills to serve his teammates and not himself. Yeah. Um, maybe just a, a message for some of the young players that are out there that are working mm-hmm. so hard to, you know, watching the videos, developing the skills, to, you know, studying Connor Bedard. Yeah. But what do they do with those skills once they have them? Well, you know, if you've ever watched a guy like Sidney Crosby play in his past or McKenna, players like that, and... Uh, uh, McDavid, they're very talented players that can do a lot by themselves, but they all have that ability to uh, make sure their game serves the team. And by that, I simply mean, um, you know, they play a game that that the other players uh, respect because it's an honest game. They play uh, away from the puck defensively as hard as they can. Um, they're guys that you understand. Uh, you clearly understand after a while watching them, but they're, they're playing for the team. They're not playing for the name on the back. They're playing for the crest on the front. And, th- and that's an old cliche and it's used a lot, but uh, the game gets tougher and tougher as you go up. And so you have to learn that. Um, and you do start to understand that pretty soon you achieve your success by playing with and for other guys. If you start trying to do too much yourself, it doesn't work. The higher level you go, the more it gets, it's so difficult. So you can, you can develop synergy with other people and, uh, and that's really an important thing. I mean, uh, you have to be able to have uh, your skills uh, serve the team. And that means passing the puck at the right time. That means sharing the puck. That means thinking about the team and not just about yourself. Um, and I think a lot of, if you asked me before about parents, a lot of parents are worried about, you know, worried about what this youngster, is he scoring goals? Is he getting points? What's his ice time? All those issues, um, you know, Sometimes you got to look at, uh, you know, the coach's point of view of serving the team is really important because uh, if you can get 18 young players playing together and playing for the, for the right reasons, uh, it's quite a powerful thing, quite a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And, um, you know, I, I, you, you hijacked one portion of it. And yeah. so <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw one more curveball in. My athletes know that when I – when I do the curveball thing, I'm that there's change, and so we're into <laughs> week 14 of our podcast. I'm gonna add a new element. This Tour de France again, or where are we going? It, it, no, it, <laughs> it's not quite, but it, it's yeah. we've we've got we've had such legendary guests over the last few weeks, and uh, and I've been thinking about this question, and I'm gonna throw it on you, Dave. It's a bit mm-hmm. of a curveball. If you were the commissioner of the National Hockey League for one day, what would you change or add? Oh, there's the curveball. That's a real curveball. Well, well, that's, that's hard to give you a definitive answer. Uh, you've kind of stumped me on that one. I, I would say probably I would ask um, the uh, owners to uh, remember that it is a game, that, uh, yes, there's a financial bottom line. Um, I'd ask the players to be uh, conscious of uh, teams have to balance their books. So to me, the one aspect of hockey that worries me all the time is the financial aspect. The game is changing. The rules are changing. The quality of our game is getting better. But I see on the horizon some financial issues that worry me. And so I think they have to understand that uh, we're not the NFL or the NHL. Um, we have uh, Canadian teams with a Canadian dollar. Um, I would I'd really stress that worry about your own team, but worry about the league have a greater holistic approach to the whole thing, do things that are good for the whole league and not just your team. Um, because most teams are very self-centered. They'll do anything they can to improve their own lot in life. And sometimes uh, you do things that aren't right. Like for example, now you look at the new expansion rules for expansion teams. They're very generous. We have an expansion team, Las Vegas. It was the third or fourth year in the league, they win the Stanley Cup because the rules are better. They're giving everybody a chance to so, but that's a holistic approach. 
that that these teams shouldn't be purged for 10 years or 15 years before they make the playoffs. So I, I guess I would just simply say uh, to, that ownership and players have to think about what's good for the game. And I mean the game, I mean financially, the whole package. Hmm. That's good. We've got a couple of minutes left. I uh, want to wind up with a couple of stories. Oh, yeah. There's, there's <laughs> rumors uh, going back a few years to your time in Calgary when you were taking young Scott, who's now as the associate coach with the Moose Jaw Warriors. Mm-hmm. Um, you're taking him back and forth to practice one day and came back from a game that maybe his effort and performance wasn't quite up to the King family standards. And uh, yeah. can you unpack that story for us, maybe? Yeah, and I could probably add some things that Scott didn't tell you. <laughs> but I had watched Scott play a few times in in the course of a week, and I just thought, like, is this the, is this the best he can do? Is this is this the effort he thinks is is adequate to to get some fulfillment from the game? And uh, he just looked like he was just you know loafing out there. So we were going home, and uh, we got home, parked the car in the garage, and I took his hockey bag, and I was, knew what I was doing. I mean, I knew he'd be upset, but I took it and took it out to the garbage and said, you don't need this because uh, you, you don't work hard enough to even consider playing this game. I mean, so I'll just put it in the garbage. And, of course, he, you know, <laughs> he didn't know what to say. He pouted for about a week. But I just wanted us, I, I wanted at a young age for him to understand that, uh, you know, you got to put your heart into things, you know, if you really want to. Because uh, he loved hockey. He mm. loved hockey. But I saw him just loafing and floating and letting somebody else do the work, and he was going to score the goal. And he could score. But I, I wanted him to become a, a a real good team member. I felt Scott was playing for himself, not playing for the team. Right. Yeah, he wasn't going to find any loose pucks playing that way. No. <laughs> but uh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's great. Love that yeah. story. Yeah. Um, I've also had the chance to, to travel overseas, and I've mm-hmm. experienced some occasions with groups that we've taken over and teams we've taken over to – the Baltics into Kazakhstan and Russia, where uh, things are taken care of. I mean, maybe back, you know, like debit cards and credit cards and bank transfers weren't mm-hmm. a thing. So everything gets handed to you in a brown paper bag or yeah. some type of a suitcase <laughs> and bills are paid and such. Yeah. Your, your experience in, in, I don't know if this was back in the, in the Super League era or in the KHL, but you, you had a moment where you, you were fronted some, your, your paycheck and you weren't really, you didn't realize maybe that it was in uh, in dollar bills in a briefcase that you carried around somewhat recklessly. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. My first time with Magnitogorsk, we were in the preseason, and we were in Switzerland playing in a tournament in Switzerland. And we had a guy with us always who had a little black duffel bag, and he always walked around with this duffel bag, and it was chained to his, his arm. I thought, what the heck is in there? <laughs> and everywhere we went, and in that era, you're talking of few years ago, two, uh, the early 2000s, uh, Russian uh, credit cards weren't that popular in Europe. So they did, they paid everything in cash. So we would stay in a hotel in Switzerland and out would come the little black bag and he'd deal out all these American dollars and everything had to be paid in cash because they wouldn't give you credit. Uh, they didn't trust the Russians to do it. So all our stuff was done in, in cash and it was, uh, it was interesting. I mean, uh, there were stories in Russia like the backup goalie for the team, the year before I got there, he was a Czech. And he made U.S. dollars. And he didn't know how to get it out of the country. So he took his ski jacket, cut the lining out, and stuffed all the pockets that are for for uh, warm material with all his money, put it on. And that's what he, how he got his money out of the country. He stuffed his ski jacket full of U.S. dollars. So, you know, it, it's interesting. I mean... Um, yeah, there's some fascinating things that happen over in these countries, and Russia was very fascinating. I mean, I had, oh, I can tell you that one of the most interesting experiences, like when, we, when I got there, we had my first training camp in Russia, and I thought, boy, these guys are in great shape. It's going to be wonderful. So the first day, they have a five-mile run, okay? And so I thought, oh, might as well put my gear on and go for another run with the and I'll go with the guys because they'll be part of the team. So they take the bus out five miles outside of town, and they stop the bus and they say, okay, we're five miles out. You've got to be back to in the rink in this amount of time. So I, and to me, it was very generous. So we all start to run. And so I'm running along and I realize that I'm, I'm kind of close to the front of the pack. And I don't know where I look over my shoulder. and They're all way, way back there. So I finished fourth. 
in this supposed fitness test. Fourth, and I'm, I don't know, I'm almost 60 years old, and I finish fourth, and all these elite athletes are just dragging their butts behind me, and I realized, hmm, what is Russian hockey all about? And so I asked Dmitry Yuskevich, I said, Dmitry, are these guys all not, they, they all had extra body fat. What's going on? He says, Dave, we play 19 preseason games. 19. <laughs> he said, we'll get there. <laughs> so I learned right away the Russians were smart. Yeah, right. They knew they'd had a long <clears throat> preseason and uh, uh, not to be too worried about going to camp in shape. Right. Yeah. yeah. Well, Dave, we've really appreciated having you on. Um, you've provide us lots of great insight for for players parents for coaches um, you've shared some stories with us and and really you know just those those little nuggets I think throughout um, our previous podcasts I think have served our, our listeners well and then you've continued to add to that story so I really appreciate that thank and and thank you for your time your seven years at Prairie and and how you've come in and you know really help mentor coaches you've I know that my my players today, um, we just came off. Today was Turkey Tuesday, and uh, you know they're coming off of of lots of uh, you know food from the weekend and and whatnot. Um, but they had pep in their step. Like mm -hmm. you, you still have influence. Uh, you have influence over these young guys. They know who you are, um, even though you're not currently active in the game um, mm -hmm. at the levels that you were in the past. You still carry. Um, a big whistle, so to speak. And so I, I really appreciate you willing, being willing to give back to the game and continue to serve in that way. Um, you, you continue to make a difference, and I really appreciate that about you. Barrett, thanks very much. I, I can just tell you, uh, every year when I'm invited back uh, by PHA, it's just a real pleasure to do it. Um, I, I like what your program stands for. As I said earlier, I think I love the fact that you're concerned about the person. And uh, the player, you can develop the player but you can really make an impact on the person if you wish to do that. And uh, you do that really well. And I think that's uh, very gratifying for an older guy like me to watch these young kids with smiles on their faces, enjoying their classes, uh, working harder with their hockey, and their camaraderie is amazing. And I think that's, it's a very pleasant part of their lives. They're going to look back years from now and think, boy, PHA was a great time. It was a great part of my life. So you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you leaving us with uh, decisions and choices. That was my takeaway, one yeah. of the many from today. So okay, thanks for that. You're welcome. Great. Well, and thank you to all our listeners out there. This was episode 14 of the Win All Day Every Day podcast presented by Prairie Hockey Academy. My name is Barrett Kropp. I am the general manager at the academy and head coach of the U15 team. I've been joined today by my co-host, Justin Simpkins, the director um, of the academy. And we are thankful that you've joined us for 14 episodes, and we look forward to 14 more and beyond. So have a great day. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of Win All Day Every Day podcast presented by Prairie Hockey Academy. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would ask that you follow us on our social media feeds so you can get weekly alerts when we drop a new episode. Plus, if you could leave us a comment and a rating so that other listeners can have the opportunity to hear about this podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it. This allows us to grow our awareness of today's show and further episodes. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode and we look forward to seeing you in the future.